You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. We will continue our series called Closer to God. And and the reality is that if you desire to be closer to God, know this. God desires to be closer to you. And we're going through Lent, and and uh, I call it I, I call what we do is Lent light. Lent light. Uh, we're we're not like the Catholic Church. I mean, they they really have Lent dialed. You know, they they have their chapters and verses that they read every week, and it's very organized. We are, but what we want to do is we live in a modern world, and we want to connect to this these ancient practices, just to remind us that, that the church has been around for 2,000 years. And so Lent is, uh, is that season that we kind of dive into, um, and the clock's not starting. So Lent is that season that we kind of dive into, and it just as a, as a way to reconnect to what this relationship means. And so this time we wanted to talk about what it means to be closer to God. Now, this is week two of us having this conversation about how do we hear the voice of God? What does that mean? How do I know that that, 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 was, that was God and, and, and not the pizza? And, and we'll probably talk more about those, was that God moments today than we did last week. Because last week we talked about the scriptures and we were probably pretty confident that when we read the scriptures, like, yep, that's God. (laughs) Hopefully we're pretty confident about that. But when it comes to desires and dreams, uh, oftentimes desires and dreams, they come from over a long season. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes there's a a dream that, that impacts us immediately. Uh, Al shared a dream, that a vision, a, a something like he just knew that God met him uh, in his nighttime, and 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 so sometimes just like instantly, yep, that was God's voice. I know it. I've heard it before, and and it makes an instant impact. Other times, it takes a long season, and like like God coming to to uh, Abram and then changing Abram's name to Abraham. It takes a multiple God coming to us multiple times, and I and I've experienced that in my in my own life. And so, desires, dreams, doors, and scriptures—these are the things that we talked about last week. There we go. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk about people, promptings, and pain. How do we know when God is speaking to us through people, through promptings, and through pain? Now, some guiding principles again from last week. Uh, there are four of them. Number one, God is patient with us when we are learning his voice because we all have to learn his voice. In fact, the second one is we all start as spiritual infants. But once, once we learn his voice, obedience is a response. That's, that's what's required of us. Uh, Again, we, we all start as, as spiritual infants. doesn't matter when you come to Christ. If, if you lead your grandma to Christ today, she starts out as a spiritual infant. She's going to have to spend eternity learning God. We will all be learning God's voice, I think, throughout. Like, I think we'll always be learning God throughout eternity. But, but you know, if, if you receive Christ at 10 or 20, or 50, or 90, spiritually, we start off in the same place. Learning God's voice is best done in community. We need each other. 
we need each other. This is just always going to be true. And we hear from God in different ways. And we should celebrate that. I'll tell you that there was a time where I look at my wife and, and the way God was speaking through her, and I'm like, man, that's amazing. What is wrong with me? And, and, I, and I wasn't, in that moment, wasn't able to celebrate just the fact that God's going to speak to her differently than he's going to speak to me. And that's, and that's a good thing. Like, that's, that's a design thing, and, it, and it's okay. I don't have to communicate with God like, like she does. And she doesn't have to communicate with God like me. And she's really happy about that, <laughs> I think, most days. All right. So those are just some guiding principles. So let's talk about hearing God's voice through people. I, I think this, is, this, this challenges us. You know, that when someone comes in and they say something to us and we're like, ugh, was that really, God, are you speaking through that person? Or, or is that that person's own insecurity that's speaking? Is it that, that person's own prejudices that they're speaking? How do I know that that's you, God? We see in 2 Samuel 12 that the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to King David, Right? King David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he, he conspired to have her husband murdered on the battlefield. He conspired and, and he succeeded to have Bathsheba's husband murdered. And so the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to King David. And, and Nathan risked Everything. I mean, what's it like to go to the king and tell him he done screwed up? What's that like? What's that like? In Galatians 2, Paul tells us that when Peter came to Antioch, that Paul had to oppose Peter to his face. He had opposed Peter to his face. This is, this is one apostle confronting the leader of the church. It's, it's one apostle confronting another apostle, but this is the leader, this is the recognized leader of the church. And this was an important moment within the, within the church. It, it totally plays in the way we worship and the way we uh, pursue God as Gentiles today. God used Paul to speak to Peter. In 1 Thessalonians, uh, we're going to see, and we're not there quite yet, but we're going to be told that uh, to not despise prophetic utterances. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, no big deal. No one's come and told me, you know, some future prophecy that, you know, that I had to despise. Uh, here's, here's the issue though. Maybe we think about prophecy in a way that, that's um, not intended. Mark Batterson says that prophecy is more foretelling than foretelling. It's more truth-telling than talking about the future. Now, if you think about the prophets, if you think about Isaiah, if you think about Ezekiel, uh, the, the, Jeremiah, the big prophets, um, they do talk about the future. They do say, hey, this is true. This is what's going to happen down the road. But more than that, they say, this is what your problem is here and now. Therefore, this is what the Lord's going to do. And so while in America, the American church, we think about prophecy and we go, oh yeah, prophecy, he's a prophet because he knows the future. From the Jewish mindset, they think in terms of, oh, what he just said is correct. What she just said was right on the dot. Yep, that was from God. And so we need to think about prophecy that way when, when we're told not to, to despise prophetic utterances. But, but let's look at the rest of that passage, or at least a good portion of that First Thessalonians passage, because Paul says this, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, 
help the weak, be patient with everyone. He's asking you to be a prophet in people's lives. He's asking you to tell the truth to people when it's appropriate. Now what he says next probably tells us how we should do that. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. If you're going to have to confront somebody, maybe you should do a whole lot of praying first. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So so we are to admonish unruly. We are to encourage the faint-hearted. We are to help those who are weak spiritually. We are called to be prophets. But how we do that matters. How we do that matters. And in verse 19, he goes on to say, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Wait a minute. Didn't he just say that I'm to be a prophet, but when someone comes to talk to me as a prophet, that I'm not, oh, this is, this is a two-way street. I'm supposed to both speak truth and also receive truth when it's spoken to me. This is not a one-way street. At least it's not supposed to be. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Not everything said to you is true. Some things that sound true is not. And so we need to examine it. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And so the Apostle Paul says that we, at times, need to be used by God as his voice. Like Nathan went to David, like Paul went to Peter. We need to be the voice of God. And within the body of Christ, there will be times where other people will come to us because we need to hear truth too. And we need to be ready to accept that. We need to have a humble heart. In Proverbs 27, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And I wonder if sometimes we act more like enemies because we see problems, but we're unwilling to talk about. We're unwilling to to pray about it. We're unwilling to be humble in our conversations about it. And sometimes we just need someone in our, in our corner with us. When Christy and I were in Moscow, we had a, a, a young couple join our care group. And they, they had come from the Post Falls real life uh, they both grew up in, in Rathdrum, and so there was some connection there. I knew, I knew a little bit about their spiritual history uh, just because of their connection to real life. But as they came to care group and, and kept coming and kept coming and going, I think they're living together, and they're not married. And so I wondered about that, but I, I was still learning who they were as people. I was still trying to figure out where they were at spiritually. And, 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 I, and I was trying to figure out what my part of the conversation should be with them. And so I spent a bunch of time praying about this. And then one day I asked uh, the young man, I said, can we go to coffee? He goes, yeah, let's do that. And even up to the moment that we sat down and I spoke to him, I wasn't sure what I was going to say. And so what I did was I started with my own story. Because before Christy and I ever met, I bought a house with a girlfriend 
and we lived together. And I was going to church and I was trying to figure things out, trying to figure out what this God thing was supposed to be. And I was, I was being invested in spiritually. I was going to a Bible study. And finally, the guy from the Bible study pulled me aside and he says, Rob, I'm confused by what you're doing. And that's all he had to say because I knew what he meant because I was confused too. And so I shared with Shaden how, how my pastor at that time helped me just kind of navigate that situation and, and how God blessed me through that and how that helped me grow spiritually. I never accused my friend of anything as I sat down across over coffee. I just shared my story. And when I got done, he says, I need help. And so we got to help them. We got to journey with them. Sometimes people just need someone in their corner. Well, here's some ground rules for giving and receiving uh, what the Amphi Bible calls uh, spoken revelations, which, is, which are words of instruction, exhortation, and warning. That's how, how the Amphi Bible defines that. So here's some ground rules for both giving and receiving. Number one, no one is above rebuke. We all need vulnerability. We all need transparency. We all need people to speak into our lives. No one is above rebuke. Number two, don't let the arrow of criticism pierce your heart unless it first passes through the filter of scripture. We're, we're to examine everything. We're to examine everything. I've had some unspiritual people try to counsel me as if they were spiritual. And they were not. You've been there. <laughs> You've had that happen to you as well. Number three, don't make a decision. Don't make decisions in a vacuum. Why? Because that sucks. Oh man, come on. That's, a, that's one, of the best, one of the best pastor jokes you've heard today. Don't, don't, don't make decisions in a vacuum. We, again, community. If someone comes to you and they, and they share something with you and you're like, man, should I do something about that or not? Like, let's not be afraid to talk about it because community will help us have clarity. Number four, listen long and hard before you dish out advice. That's what I did with my friend, Shaden. I listened long, I listened hard. I wanted to know what the right conversation was. What's the first conversation that I have with Shaden? Because, because if he doesn't know the Lord, that's living with his girlfriend is not the first conversation. The relationship with the Lord is. We don't tell people to clean up their act before they take a bath, Right? Like we talk about baptism first. We talk about the Holy Spirit first. We talk about the gift of salvation first. So we have to, we need to listen long and hard. And that's why a care group, like that's one of the reasons why a care group, when, when someone just shares something, you know, like uh, answering a question, they just, they, they, they share a thumbnail of their life or of what they're, of what they're, and that's the first time you hear about that. That's not the time to keep, just like correct things. We need to wait. Number five, always let them know that you are for them. Always let them know that you're for them. God's always for us when he, when he confronts us. God always is for us. And, and I think letting them know that you're for them is both for if you're on the giving end or the receiving end of this conversation. Like someone comes to you and they confront you, are you going to let them know that you're for them? Number six, tough conversations get tougher the longer you wait. Now we kind of have to balance this out with number four, right? It's like, well, I'm, I'm listening along and hard, but 
Now this is getting longer. Uh, I think this comes down to when, when this is the 3,000th time that something's happened and now you're going to talk about it. Like, dude, we've known each other for decades and now you bring this to me? So, just some thoughts on, on giving and receiving prophetic utterance, being the voice of God in other people's lives, allowing other people to be the voice of God in your life. We, we need to double check. We need, we need community. We need, to, we need to examine it. We need to pray long and hard before we have the conversation and make sure that, that this is of God and not our own prejudice, not our own insecurity, not our own whatever but it's important nonetheless. But we also hear God through promptings. And I think promptings for me, maybe not your experience, but my experience, promptings uh, have made me question more than anything else, was that God? I've had God prompt me to uh, uh, hand a homeless person some cash. Uh, I've had God prompt me to uh, take someone out to dinner. I've had God prompt me to give somebody a phone call. I've had God prompt me do a thousand different things. Probably the thing that um, I've gone limbic over the most is, is feeling like I was prompted to uh, fast. I, there's been times in my life where fasting was was something that I was willing to do and, and, and uh was relatively easy. It was at least in my story, it was easy. But there are other times where I'm like, uh, Lord, what would I be fasting for? And is that you, Lord? And that's confusing. And I got this thing going on and, 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 and. Other times I felt God was prompting me to have a conversation with someone and it went Horribly wrong. <laughs> I'm going to go across the street and share the Lord with my neighbor. Oh, that was super awkward. <laughs> Felt super forced. Uh, I don't think God was in that at all. But I do believe that God prompts us. In, eight, in Acts chapter 8, we're told that the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. This is uh, Philip with the eunuch. And if you remember the story, the eunuch had, had uh, been in Jerusalem worshiping and Philip had actually been up in Samaria. And so he, he runs past Jerusalem because of an angel. He runs past Jerusalem down towards the sea on a desert road. And he's just running along. I don't know why. Um, other than the angel, like getting his exercise and uh, he sees a chariot and the spirit says, go join this chariot. Now, here's the thing with promptings. We don't usually get a, a, a book presented to us. It's a, go join this chariot. Does Philip know what to do next? Not till he gets there. Not until he shows up. And, it, and it's, it's when we respond and, and we show up and, and now you're hearing the guy reading Isaiah that, that Philip knew that it wasn't the pizza or the, what did they eat back then? It wasn't the matzah bread. It was the Holy Spirit. Because of what Philip saw next, because he could tell that God was at work here because the eunuch was reading the book of Isaiah. Uh, David Wilkerson, have you, have you read the book, The Cross and the Switchblade? If you haven't read it, watch the movie. No, uh, the book is better. Um, it's been a long time since, since I've seen the movie. I read this book as a kid, and then I read this book right before we left uh, Post Falls to go to Moscow. And I felt like David Wilkerson going from Post Falls to Moscow because David Wilkerson in uh, 1958 
was reading Life magazine, and on the cover was a picture of, of some gangsters that were on trial for killing a 15-year-old boy with polio. David Wilkerson grew up or, or was pastoring out, I believe, in rural Ohio. And he felt prompted when he saw that news article, he felt prompted to go to New York. Now, if you know the story, you know that all the classic tropes of country bumpkin pastor going to a big city took place on that first trip. All kinds of mistakes made, laughing stock, goes home, feeling foolish. But God prompts him again. And so he goes back to New York and he goes back to New York and he goes back to New York and, and the people around him are going, isn't there enough ministry for you to do here in Missoula? Isn't there enough ministry for you to do here at Mission Ridge? And there was, except for there was this prompting of the Holy Spirit in David Wilkerson's life. Uh, Teen Challenge has come out of uh, David Wilkerson's work, which is worldwide now, dealing with addiction. Did that country pastor know anything about addiction in 1958? Absolutely not. <laughs> like zero context. He needed the Holy Spirit through the whole shebang. As he started to engage men and women that were addicted to heroin in New York City. But David Wilkerson responded to, to a prompting. And, the, and, and again, I think promptings are, are the, maybe they challenge me more than anything else. When I read in the scriptures, I'm going, yep, that makes sense. I'm going to go. When, uh, when I pray and fast over a long period of time and, 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 and there's this dream, there's, there's this vision, like, okay, here we go. But promptings are like, are you, <laughs> are you sure? Uh, Logan Daly says this, quoting all the famous uh, theologians this morning. Uh, your ability to discern if it is God or your anxiety is directly informed by your connection with God. And you know what? Responding to God's promptings is going to be awkward at times. It's going to be awkward. I think of uh, Al talking about praying for certain houses, being drawn to certain houses and praying. And that's, and, that, and that's one thing to pray. But if the next prompting is go knock on that door, that's something different, right? Here's some, here's some guidelines that, that I've learned over the years for myself. Uh, first and foremost, um, if I wrestle with whether or not uh, that was God or not, my assumption is it's not. I've learned to assume that if I question whether or not that was God, it probably wasn't God. And here's why. When I communicate to a toddler and the toddler doesn't understand what, am I, what I'm saying. Who's responsible for making sure that the toddler understands? Is it the toddler's resp responsibility? Or is it the grown adult? I almost had an adjective in there. <laughs> I'll let you figure that one out. It's the big person's responsibility to make sure that the little person understands what's being communicated. And, and, and if God is trying to communicate with me and I'm confused, 
I don't act on it. Because the big person hasn't, it either isn't trying to communicate with me at all or isn't done trying. And so I wait. But uh, some other things, uh, God's voice in you will always match God's voice in the scriptures. Hey, Zach. God's voice inside you will always match God's voice in the scriptures. Uh, God does not have to use fear. He will not shame you. God is never a bully. And your salvation is never dependent on you responding to a prompting. Your salvation is never dependent on you responding to a prompting. See, we have a, we have a spiritual enemy who likes to masquerade as an, as an angel of light. And he wants to confuse. And once he confuses you, he wants to accuse. And our God doesn't use those tactics ever. He doesn't have to. He's too big for that. And if you don't respond to that prompting, and it was God, he's not surprised. And you didn't ruin his plans because he is bigger than you are. And he knows. And he knows. I think it's really important for us when we think that we have promptings and we think that maybe we, we fail to respond appropriately to a prompting, that we review our experiences with community. I remember me talking about felt, feeling prompted to fast. Uh, I felt prompted to, to fast and then totally failed at keeping the fast. And I was so depressed and I was so distraught and I thought I'd failed God in so many ways. And I went and talked to my, my pastor, Pastor Don. And he says, he says, brother, God loves you. And, and, he, and he hugged me. If I hadn't had that conversation with Pastor Don, I would have just continued in despair. And it would have been me allowing the enemy to confuse and then accuse me. So, God speaks to us through uh, people. He speaks to us through promptings. But he also speaks to us through pain. He also speaks to us through pain. And this may be maybe my least favorite part of this sermon. Um, the reality is that uh, we all experience pain. And the reality is we all experience pain more than we want to. And sometimes it's excruciating. Uh, last night, we're, Christy and I were watching a, uh, a special uh, by Benet Brown. I'm trying to remember what the special is called, Anatomy of the Heart, I, I believe is what it's called. And uh, this is going to be Logan's favorite part of this sermon. But uh, what Brene Brown is saying in that, uh, in this book that's about yay thick, which really scares me because I probably will read it. Um, and, uh, but in this, uh, this series, and, and we watched episode one, and there's five episodes, I believe, out there already. I don't know if there's going to be more than that. But we, we lack language. We lack the emotional intelligence to, to even know what's going on within ourselves. And because we lack that emotional intelligence to know what's going on within ourselves, that gets in the way of us connecting with each other. 
and she said there's three uh, three emotions that that we uh, that we could readily identify: happy, sad, and 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 pissed off. That's the average. You ask someone, "Where are you feeling?" If they're feeling one of those three, they know. If it's something else, they struggle to define it more often than not. That's what data will tell you. And one of the words that she decided to describe for us was anguish. And as, as she described this word, I began to sob. Because what I realized is I finally had a word for what I felt when I watched my, my mom in her last week. I experienced anguish and the simple act of describing it made me feel the feels again. Pain is, is universal. We have experienced it. We are experiencing it. And we will experience it. And, and the scriptures reveals this, right? Ab and Eve. We see the pain of Ab and Eve when they disobey God. We see relational pain as they blame each other. Actually, it's mostly Adam that was doing the blaming of Eve, I guess. Uh, David, throughout the Psalms, we see him express his emotional pain for, for a myriad of, of circumstances. I mean, he penned, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know that that, that, that Psalm 22 passage is foretelling of, of the Christ, but I got to imagine that David said those words first and foremost for himself. And then we see Job lose family, fortunes, and health. So the Bible doesn't shy away from the fact that this life, this side of heaven, brings pain. But there's a reality that pain can be our teacher. Most of us learned at a young age to not touch the hot stove, right? Because pain taught us that. Every time I go to the gym and I, and I do some cardio, the pain teaches me that I'm not that young anymore. <laughs> pain can be our teacher if we will let it. Uh, this was David's response to hearing God's voice through Nathan in Psalm 51. He says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your love and kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Does this sound like the typical person that just got caught literally with his pants down and a knife in his hand? Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. And how many billions of Christians over the centuries have used this psalm when they are faced with their own painful reality? The painful reality of their sin. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem with Pain, says this, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. It is megaphone, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Would I understand my need for God to the degree that I, 
that I understand today, would I have understood that without the myriad of pains I've faced in my life? First and foremost, the pain of my own decisions, the pain of the outcome of the lifestyle that I lived without God, the pain of the choices of me living out, living within the world according to the rules that I created for myself, thinking that, yep, God says it goes this way, but I'm going to go this way. But not just the pain of our sin, our bad choices, but the pain of, of relationships that are flaky. The pain that reminds us that we are made of but dust, that from dust we came from and, and dust that will return, that we need a God of resurrection. We need a God of restoration. I think, uh, I think about the pastors uh, that have to bury a close friend. And in that moment, they have to deal with their own humanity from the standpoint that, yes, I will perish too. But then they also have to live within the reality that I have to minister to my congregation. But then they also have to live with the reality that I feel lost. I feel robbed in this moment. And my heart is desperate for answers. And our tendency is to, is, is to avoid pain. Right? I mean, that's why Ryan Leaf uh, ended up addicted on drugs and uh, on pain pills and would break into, you know, at one point the number one NFL draft pick and then years later breaking into people's homes and, and, and getting into their medicine cabinet for a pill. Like, that sounds crazy. It's amazing at what lengths that we will go to to avoid pain. We won't talk about what really happened when, when a relationship breaks down. We will we'll skirt around the issue because if we talked about what was real, then we'd have to deal with the pain of what we contributed to that situation. I... I don't, you know, when I'm at the gym and I'm, you know, I'm working and something doesn't quite feel right, I don't want to admit that uh, I'm not a 20-year-old anymore. I'm 50. One. And a lot. 51 and a lot. <laughs> I, I don't want to admit that I can't do what I used to do. I want to avoid that pain. Mark Batterson says this, in the midst of tough times, told you we get to all the great theologians. In the midst of tough times, we may feel as if the Almighty has turned his back on us. So what do we usually want to do? We tend to turn our back on him. God, this, this is your fault. I'm, I'm convinced that our anger with each other, more often than not, is really anger towards God. And God's too big for us, so we pick the next person closest. We pick on our wife, we pick on our best friend, we pick on the guy across the counter at the gas station. We pick someone else, and it's really God that we're mad at, if we were just honest for a moment. But you know what? What if we actually embraced pain? What if we actually faced it? 
women endure birth pains and welcome in a new son or a daughter. Or sometimes three or four or five or six, which is crazy <laughs> to me to think about. Uh, I, I was never more in awe of my wife than the four times that she delivered our children. While in extreme pain, the joy on her face in that moment was, it was, uh, I was just in awe. I was just in awe of that moment. World-class athletes, they embrace the pain to receive the prize. And the ones that can embrace the most pain seem to win the biggest prizes. Except for Tom Brady, I don't know what's going on there. I don't think that guy's ever experienced pain. Uh, just so wherever he walks, the sun seems to shine. Uh, and my wife says, you know, he's a complainer. So he, he scratches face and he's done. But think about like those linebackers and, and uh, DK Metcalf. Uh, most of the season had a fractured foot that could have broke the rest away. And he played through it. Kickers, kicking a football through the uprights with a broken foot. And it's cold. Wow. I don't know if you should embrace that kind of pain that way, but... <laughs> um, and maybe... Just maybe we should seek God's voice in our pain. If God wants to communicate with us, if, if God wants to reveal himself, see, I could face tough things if I know my God's with me. Apostle Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 12 when he's given a thorn in the flesh. And uh, he asks, the Lord to take it away. And the Lord responded, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. And so this is Paul's response to his own weakness, his own pain. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell within me Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I have the strength of the Lord. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, and as a pastor, I get asked the question, why my pain? Why do I feel this? Why is this happening here and now, and, and to be honest with you, my answers will never suffice. It's the wrong voice. It's the wrong voice. I want you to think about your pain. I want you to think about your pain, whether it's from this week, from the last, uh, last month, the last year, the last 10 years. I want you to think about that pain. I want you to, actually, I want you to close your eyes. I invite you to close your eyes. And I want you to stare at that pain. Know what it is. And I'm going to read you out of Romans 8. And maybe, just maybe as we go back to the scriptures, maybe God's voice will speak to that pain. So close your eyes, look at that pain. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. 
what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.